This program is a proud member of Univaz. Unified, unique, voices. Learn more at univazpods.net. Hello, my name's Patrick, and I'm a Scream Queen. I'm a Scream Queen, and so are you! Hello again, my beautiful screamers, and welcome to another episode of Scream Queens, the podcast where horror gets gay. And for the month of June, we're going to be getting extra gay. Why? Why? Really? Why? Because it's Pride! Yay! This is episode 317, and tonight, we're going to be taking a look at the movie within a movie within a movie massacre, the movie that was meta before meta was meta, the 1991 slasher Popcorn, starring Jill Sholin, D. Wallace Stone, and Tom Villard. And to do that, I'm going to be joined by two very special, and should I say fabulous, guests. The world-famous actor from the Hot Date podcast, Mr. Dan Dominguez, and a fellow New York City gay men's chorus, Corrine, Peter Adamson. But... Before we go a step further, please allow me to introduce myself. Hi, my name is Patrick Walsh, and ever since 2010, I've been your guide through the weird and wonderful world of horror movies. But, little one, you, yes you, are going to have to see them through my very gay little eyes. A tee hee a tee hee a tinkle tee hee tee. Tinkle tee tee, where the fuck did that come from? What's been going on at Scream Queen's headquarters, you ask? Well, I'll tell you. Uh, things are opening up in New York City. It's slow. It's sure. Things are starting to get back to semi-normal. And it's weird, and it's scary, and... I'm going in baby steps, but we're going. We're going. I'm going to the movies every now and then. I got to go to a birthday party last week for for, for Matt Knife. Matt Knife, who you met in the Witchboard episode and the Clash the Titans episode. And he's going to be here next week, or next episode, to talk about Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker. Anyway, I got to go to his birthday party. I got to meet him in person. I got to meet his husband, Scott, who was also on the Witchboard episode. Doug Shapiro, and his husband was there. Who's the fifth wheel who doesn't have a husband? Me. Did I have a good time? Yes. Was it weird and freaky? Yeah, actually. But you know what made it less freaky? The fact that everybody there... At some point, took a moment to stop and say, you know what? This feels really weird and freaky to be around this many people. And it wasn't that many people. But hey, it'll be less weird and freaky next time. And that's a good thing. Or is it? I don't know, because I do like it weird and freaky, but not that kind of weird and freaky. Anyway, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, hey, I want to say thank you to everybody who has been sending messages and checking in to see how Smoochie is doing. Which I guess means it's time for bum bum Smoochie Watch. Yeah, it's a data. What's going on with that cat? Smoochie is fabulous. Well, Patrick, she's always been fabulous. Yeah, I know she's always been fabulous, but I think I mentioned last time I started her back on her Kitty Prozac routine. She's a different cat. She's friendly. She's happy all the time. She cuddles. I haven't been hissed at in weeks. It's fantastic. Now, some of you long-timers will remember that I, I did have her on that when I first got her when she was wild. But since she also suffers from hyperesthesia, I had her on this other drug, cab- uh, gabapentin. And apparently the both of them together constipated her so badly that it put her in the hospital. We almost lost her. But now I'm working with a different vet and we're going with microdoses of kitty Prozac every other day. Whole different kitty, whole different world. I'm not going to sing the Aladdin song because that's just ridiculous. So some of you might be wondering, why are we doing popcorn for Pride Month? 
There's nothing gay about this. It wasn't made by gay people. It's not about gay people. There's no gay subtext. Why are we doing this? Well, there are gay people, gay person. I'm doing popcorn to shine a spotlight on the late, great gay actor, Tom Villard. If you're around in the 80s, you know Tom Villard. He was everywhere. He was like the dollar store version of Tom Hanks. And I don't mean to say that to demean him, but it was pretty much, if you couldn't afford Tom Hanks, you got Tom Villard instead. Because they're the same physical type, they're gangly, the same kind of humor. Not to say that Tom wasn't talented, but, you know, just anyway, he was everywhere. Like, game, like Queen lived on game shows. We'll get into all that in the show, but... He was gay, he had to live in the Hollywood closet because it was the AIDS crisis, he was sick with AIDS making this movie, and still turns into a bravura performance, and I just want to tip my tiara to him for this episode. And the thing about popcorn, too, is that it's been kind of forgotten over the years. Nobody really talks about popcorn that much, which is weird, because when it came out, huge critical success. Critics loved it, but it flopped. It flopped at the box office hard. Audiences stayed away in droves. And I'll admit, when I first saw it, I was kind of like, eh, well, parts of it were really incredible, Overall, it's kind of a big, hot mess. Every time I see it, I like it a little bit more. And I've seen it a lot now over the years. And now I really see what it, what it was trying to do, that it's this love letter to a time gone by, this time of Hollywood showmanship that doesn't exist anymore. When you didn't just have to put out a movie and everybody would flock to it, you had a turkey and you had to sell it. So you had to sell that sizzle instead of the piece of shit, of movie, piece of shit movie you had. So you got all those gimmicks going in, you know, all those crazy promotional gimmicks, you know, vomit bags and free burial service if you die to fright all that William Castle crap that doesn't happen anymore and this, this movie loves it and what I love about this movie too is that it's a movie about those Hollywood gimmicks the gimmick about this movie about Hollywood gimmicks is that the killer also has a gimmick and that gimmick is the gimmicks he kills people with the gimmicks from those old movies so it's a movie about gimmicks with a killer who uses gimmicks that are gimmicks did that make sense? Probably not, which means I think it's about time to start the show. So, everybody, step right up, take your seats, don't be late, because you're in for the shock of your lifetime, because I'm going to bring on Dan Dominguez and Peter Adamson, and we're going to talk about some popcorn, right after we listen to this trailer. here in Scream Queens, and well, actually, it's June everywhere else as well, but that means that it's Gay Pride Month! Yay! And so we've picked a very special movie, a little bit unusual than what we usually do during Pride Month, and 
Since it's very unusual, I have two very unusual guests with me. First up, we have a returning guest. You'll remember him. He was here back in October for John Carpenter Month when he talked about the movie Someone's Watching Me. Since then, he's been on New Amsterdam on NBC because he is a world-famous actor whose dimples are registered weapons in 47 states. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls at my GNCs, wherever you may be, please welcome back to the Screen Queen Studio, Mr. Dan Dominguez! Hi, Patrick. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Hi, Dan. Hi. Whenever I get the invitation, I just get a little chill through through my body. Oh, stop. Oh, stop. <laughs> I do. I do. So good to see you again. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. Although, please turn off your camera because they, they use dimples. They're just threatening me. Stop it. Oh, I know. Too much. Too much. He's got looks to kill. It's my secret <laughs> weapon. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. I just heard a knock at the door. Is somebody else here? Did you bring a guest? I didn't invite anybody. Dan, 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 you know what it is? I think we have a mystery date. <laughs> Who's it oh. going to be? Mystery date. Mystery date. No, it's just, I'm just kidding. I know who it is. Our next guest, it's a first timer, so everybody, please be nice. He sings with me in the New York City Gay Men's Chorus. He's a graduate of the Psychobitty University, and his peaches are never, ever brown and yuki. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, please welcome for the very first time to Scream Queens, Mr. Peter Adamson. Hi, he's waving. It's, it's clearly it's the first time he's waving on an audio it's, podcast. Well done, Peter. <laughs> it's, you know what? I'm going to keep waving. I'm going to keep acting like people can see me. So you suck on Waving it. through a window. <laughs> but I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Excellent. Excellent. So great. So you, are you nervous? Are you scared? Not really. I thought I would be, but I'm not. Once Everyone's just, always just, nervous their first time. Mm, well, I, I, this isn't my first time. <laughs> I actually have been on a podcast before, just not this He's one. He's been cheating on you, Patrick. He lied. You two-timer. <laughs> podcast slut. <laughs> Nothing as fun as this one, though. Okay. So the movie that we are here to talk about is the 1991 curious little film called Popcorn, a film with quite a, quite a conflicted history and, and, and many tif- technical difficulties and, and a, an unusual film overall. Um, Dan... You've been here so often, I'm not going to make you do this. Peter, Peter, welcome to your initiation. Peter, I need you to give me a nice, tight, back-of-the-DVD plot summary of the film Popcorn. Please don't try to summarize the whole film into 30 seconds. Pretend that I'm a movie producer in an elevator with you, and you have 30 seconds to pitch that script to me. The clock starts now! All right, so a film class decides to put on a film festival, and amidst the... The showing of three separate films, a slasher film is playing out in real life. In the world of the film. Done. That's it. Done. Okay, well done. Very good for your first time. Very mm-hmm. good for your first time. <laughs> Dan, Dan, you have anything you want to add to that? Um, I wanted to add that film student Maggie is having terrible nightmares about Lanyard Gates, who was a murderous cult leader, and that that also plays into... The 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 horror film festival in a scary and terrifying way. 
Okay, good. All right, good. <laughs> and personally, I would have gone with, I would have given the launch, I would have gone with the launch of the new Lee Press-On face line goes horribly awry. <laughs> End of story. Because <laughs> <laughs> our killer is also stealing people's faces. And then he presses them on. Like a Press-On face. What I think is fascinating about this movie that's only occurred to me when I was sitting there waiting for you guys was that it's a movie that's about movies with gimmicks, about the whole era from the 50s when every movie had some kind of crazy gimmick to get butts in the seats. The killer in it is killing people with gimmicks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's his weapon. Yeah, with, that's really cool. With, with the same gimmicks, timed within an inch of itself. It's super meta at a time when not many movies were being meta, like Scream had not come on the scene yet. So it's really, mm-hmm. for for what it is, it's really interesting, yeah. Also, mm-hmm. I have to make a confession. I saw this in the theater when it came out because... You two, you two, Dan? I, I'm aging myself. I saw popcorn in the movie theaters, too. Oh, I was wow. picking up through the balls of my crib, <laughs> crying because <laughs> grandma, grandma wouldn't give me my pacifier. They said, this is rated R. You can't come in here. You're seven. You're a baby. <laughs> so I just, bought a, I just bought a ticket to Fantasia and then they snuck They just flashed those dimples and they're like, let him in. <laughs> he can do anything he wants. <laughs> but no, I saw this in the theaters because true confession time, and I've talked about this on the show before. At this point, 1991, I'd given up on horror movies. It's that post, like post 1988, when Tipper mm-hmm. Gore kind of started clamping down, and the MPAA started clamping down, and everything got really like middly mushy. Everything was mm-hmm. garbage. Like, this is the era of the Lawnmower Man. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. The 90s were and not it, a great era for horror movies. No, well, and and 91 is when Silence of the Lambs came out too. After this, so that sort of made made horror not only you know box office material again, but also Oscar-worthy. So it kind of gave some cachet. No, I was going to say it gave some cachet to the genre again. Cachet. He's speaking French. Cachet. <laughs> <laughs> cachet français. Cachet away. Cachet you stay. Except people never admit the Silence of the Lambs is horror. So the fact that you're yeah. saying that is cute. But no, I mean, it's, well, it was still true. taboo. And the thing is, I went to see, I thought the title was horrible. I still do. But uh, I, I, the, the critic reviews were great. New York Times loved it. Entertainment Weekly loved it. Variety loved it. Everybody loved the movie, and it flopped like a fucking tart. I don't know. What, a flop tart? A flop tart. I just made up a flop tart. It's a new thing now. <laughs> our, our, our money didn't help. And even though I had problems with it, it was so much better than anything else that was coming out at the time and, and so new that it was like a breath of fresh air for the genre for me. It gave me hope, but it was coming for the future, and then nothing good happened until 1996 when Scream came out. I did. I read some of the reviews, and they all called it "little but nifty." I think those were two words that sort of came out again and again. Little. That's but my grinder profile. <laughs> <laughs> and o- Owen Gleiberman gave it a gave it a B in Entertainment Weekly, and he's 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 no slouch. No, he, no. Owen Gleiberman was a friend of horror movies. I, I got Entertainment Weekly when I was a kid, and I loved his reviews because he was always very kind to them. He was very fair. Mm. When reviewing mm. horror film, horror movies, yeah, right, because he knew what the audience, he knew what they were supposed to do. Yeah, and to be fair, this 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 movie was pretty fresh. What it was trying to do, this whole thing with uh, with this movie, the movies within a movie, and 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 using what's in the movies to kill people, it was just, it wasn't like anything else at the time, and it still isn't like anything else. It wasn't really gory. They they, they managed to walk that line because that was a lot of the problems. Was these movies would come out and get hacked to ribbons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you can feel that that emptiness. But this was this movie. Was, I was uh, listening to all the the extra material that they were aiming for PG thirteen, 
and the ratings board wouldn't give it to them. And they're like, well, why not? And the rating board's like, it's too intense. Like, well, what scenes? We'll cut them. I'm like, nah, we don't know. It's just too intense. When you guys saw the film, were there many people in the theater? It was packed. Yeah, it was packed. Really? Interesting. Because it I, didn't do good. It was Albany, New York. So, I mean, the, <laughs> what else is there to do? It didn't I do don't remember. Box office. I don't it was inside. What... It was warm. <laughs> Probably winter. <laughs> I don't remember what the crowd was like. I remember... Okay, I remember it not leaving a great impression on me. Just this is not the type of slasher film that I go for. Uh, so, uh, y- y- like, like campy, campy slashers are not my favorite. I like the grittier, sort of uh, darker. And, and this movie has aspects of that, but most of it's pretty silly. And so I sort of didn't, I sort of put it out of my head after I saw it and thought, ah, oh, that's cute. There's so many people in it that I like. Yeah, it has that. That sort of charm factor because there's so many aspects of it and people in it and and actors and the music is by Paul Zaza who I love, so it had that quality but but it didn't it didn't linger. Understandable. I said my thing with this this so much of the movie I like except I think it dies in the last reel. Yes. The whole thing the whole the whole finale is like doesn't it doesn't work for me it never works for me but I I, try, I get through it because Tom Villard is slaying. It's his tour de force. He's a, it's a tour de force performance by him that last half hour. Yes, and Tom Lord is the reason why I picked this movie to do for Gay Pride Month because this was a, a gay actor at the time when you could not be gay in Hollywood, and not like you can be now, but like you really couldn't. Like nobody would hire you because you were an insurance risk because of the AIDS crisis. And mm-hmm. um, he was very sick at the time, and he pulls through this incredible performance, and I think it's great. So, mm-hmm. yeah. and I think Looking it's like. In his career, it's probably his biggest, most lead role, right? This is this was like, I beg to differ. He was on. Oh, we okay. got it made right. for five years. <laughs> it was a hit series on NBC for five years. It was syndicated most of that time. I don't care. It was on for five years. <laughs> I watched every single damn episode because I had I had a crush on his roommate in the show, Matt McCoy. Matt McCoy, yeah. I can't wait till we talk about we got it made. Is Matt is Matt McCoy the dad from Hand That Rocks the Cradle? Yes. Yes. He oh, is. Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. I told these guys and he's last in week. Police we're doing... Academy Five. That's which right. Is name he got in bitten in half in, in in Deep Star Six. Oh right. And he's in that he's in that crazy Yeti movie, uh, Abominable. 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 And now, that's, a good, and... that's a great gory movie. <laughs> and now he does now he does TV commercials for some sort of um medical bracelet. I think it's a medical bracelet where you press if you're in an emergency. And of he's, he st- does. he's still a handsome guy, but he's a guy who I think he's probably what, mid sixties now? Still handsome, but you're like, oh, you're in a com- you're in this series of commercials. You go. Nobody remembers you, but that's okay. Hi, I'm actually Matt McCoy. You. Who? I remember you, Matt McCoy. Okay, here's the thing. Okay, we're not we're not supposed to be talking about Matt McCoy, but we're only making okay, the boy Matt McCoy cast. Here's the thing. He was on he was on Hollywood Squares once. I was told these guys last week that I went down this rabbit hole. I was looking up stuff about Tom Ballard, and I went up watching all these all these goddamn game shows that nobody even remembers anymore. And this fucking Tom Ballard fucking lived on Password Plus. He was on there constantly. Password, that's, that's what, yes. Password Plus. Crazy shows like Body Language and Gauntlet. Mm. I'm like, I don't remember any of these things. Matt McCoy was on Hollywood Squares, and who was the host on that? Gene, Gene the creepy guy with the little microphone. Peter, uh, on Match Game or Hollywood Squares? I'm sorry, I'm Hollywood Squares. That was Peter Marshall. Peter Marshall, thank you. Peter Marshall had gone up and was it was talking directly to him up in his little square, 
and they're just talking about whatever is going on in his career. And Matt's talking, and then he finished talking about whatever was going on in his career. And Gene Marshall just looked in the camera and goes, I don't know if you people can see it from where you're sitting out there, but Matt McCoy has a hairy chest. <laughs> and he made Matt McCoy unbutton his shirt and show his hairy chest. I was going to die. <laughs> I thought I was going to die. <laughs> That sounds like something Paul Lynn should have done. Yeah. Marshall. Well, he was long gone by that point. <laughs> Circle gets the boner. <laughs> okay, the other, thing I did, the other thing I did not know about this movie at all until this time through is that it was produced by Bob Clark. Yeah. Well, he's not in, any, he's, he, he's not in the credits. No, he's not. He's not. He's not. Uh, there is, he is in the credits, but it's like it's not him. There's like there's three Bob Clarks in the set. His son was on set, and there's another there's a makeup uh, special yeah. effects guy also named Bob Clark, not related. So there's three Bob Clarks in this movie. But Bob Clark was a producer. Bob Clark, Black Christmas, uh, Children Porkies. Don't Play with the Things, Porkies, um, a Christmas story, a Christmas story, Baby Geniuses, all that stuff. Yeah, huge guy working on this movie. I wonder. I mean, did you find out any information? Because I I you know did a little bit of research. I couldn't find why he goes uncredited. Because he was such a force behind this movie. He was doing other things with his career. This is his baby genius's era. He'd moved on to family films. And he's like, I really want to do a horror movie, but I don't want to be have my name attached to it. Mm. Because it's going to mess up the, mess up the brand or something like that. And so, yeah. And then my, okay. one of my favorite things about this movie is that it's totally shot in Jamaica. And it totally looks like Jamaica. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It's not fooling, but it's supposed to be Los Angeles. I love that. I love that. And also, like, I, I mean, I, I obviously, obviously, they shot it because they got tax breaks or something. They got a yeah, cheaper exactly. Crew. They were they were uh, there was a businessman who was trying to make Kingston, Jamaica, a film mecca, filmmaking okay. mecca. So he 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 paid for them to come do the movie there. So yeah, huge tax breaks, which caused huge problems. Of course. But then most of the film is really set indoors, so you could have shot it really anywhere. <laughs> but then, then Tony Roberts probably wouldn't have said yes because he got a free trip. To, well, any of them, they all got a free trip to Jamaica. I got yeah, right. paid to go to Jamaica. Amazing. Okay. Um, all right. <laughs> Just want to quick go through this cast because we've been babbling a long time. Uh, leading it up is Jill Sholin, <laughs> who was everywhere in the eighties. Stepfather, fan of the opera, cutting class with with um, Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt. I never liked her. <laughs> I never liked her. And I only realize now I just don't like her roles. Okay. I saw her, I saw her in a couple of things. I'm like, she's a really good actress, but she's always in the lead role. And this final girl is always the most thinly written character mm-hmm. often. That's interesting. I think that's... I'm, I'm just here to be a beacon of virtue. <laughs> but now that I've seen the stepfather again as an adult, I can say, wow, she's actually got some range. This character's got some edge and she's had some surprises to her that she doesn't normally get in other movies. And it's not her fault that she's not bringing them. They're either not written there for her character to do or she's not directed to do so. One or the other. Who's, who does her voice remind you of? I couldn't quite place it. Is it Melanie Linsky? Is it Melanie Linsky? There's some actress. I think there's some it- actress today that. Has oh. that same sort of oh, babyish? No, no, no. See, I know one of the other things that bothers me about her, and this is totally something that's not in her control. Her voice. I had some kind of LP, like children's LP, 
I don't want to say it's a Disney LP. She sounds just like all these voices yes. that are on that LP. She's got a chill. So whenever she's speaking, I'm thinking of Alice in Wonderland or some shit, but it's not her. Yeah, I can't Connor. place who it is either, but it's, there's it's some... not Demi Moore because that Demi Moore also has <laughs> that like smoky. She's yeah, yeah. Hers is more high and childlike. It's got a weird quality to it. Yeah, but I, I, yeah. I, I, I dig it, but it also freaks me out. Uh, Jill Shellen up the cast. Uh, Tom Villar we talked about. Speaking of Demi Moore, he made his film debut in Parasite with Demi Moore. Tom Villar did right. Yes, yes. and of course Grease too. Heartbreak Bridge with Clint Eastwood, uh, my girl. Mm-hmm. Yes, mostly cut though. Unfortunately, he was Brad that the two twins were singing about he, in the talent show. Uh, yes, what and about, he has a he has a solo line in the reproduction number about I'm going to be sick. Of course, because you're gay, Tom Belong. <laughs> <laughs> he says, "Oh, I think I'm going to throw. I think I'm going to throw up." What about his recurring role on The Golden Girls? That's where I know Tom Villard. That's true. Yeah, it's true. It's true. One of, his, he, one of the last things he did was Golden Girls, yeah. <laughs> he appeared twice on The Golden Girls over the course of several seasons, but uh, twice, but playing two different characters, which The Golden Girls would do a lot. They would have the same actor come back, but play two different characters. And as a young, you know, young kid watching, you're like, wait a minute. That's not the same daughter. <laughs> or that's, that's the guy. That's the guy who played the lawyer in the episode from season one. Why yeah. would they do that? It's so do, funny. Yeah. How do they not recognize him? Yeah. <laughs> no um, one will remember. No one will remember. Uh, D. Wallace. We got D. Wallace. Uh, in love Adding with her. class to yes. this. Yeah. D. Wallace yeah. Stone. Apparently, she had had a baby like five minutes before the movie started. So, like, whenever she wasn't on set, she had baby on teeth. Mm. Rocking that lesbian do, by the way. Rocking it. Love yes. it. Loving it. Love the whole look. Yes. Love the whole look. I said, now I understand the do because you just had a baby and you're like, fuck it. I don't want <laughs> Can't deal with any of this. Take just it all cut off. Cut it all off. Yeah. I love D. Wallace Stone. I also just want to point out that Kelly Joe Mentor, the unkillable Kelly Joe Mentor is in this. She went up against Freddie. Everything. <laughs> so many hard things. She never, she's never the final girl, but she never dies. She didn't, the people under the stairs didn't get her. No, no. The no, vampires the and Lost Boys didn't get her, or did they get no. her in Lost Boys? No, I don't think they did. She's unkillable. I love her. Love her. Also has also has an interesting, like smoky kind of voice, right? Where where it seems like the voice is going to go out any second. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, um, that's pretty. Bad. Everyone else can just come up as they go along. All right. So the opening shot of this film always freaks me out. So I'm like, what am I looking at? Like, because it's out of focus. You're seeing a bunch of faces that are just floating in a jar of goo. <laughs> and it's pink. It's really pink. I'm going, what am I? Is this the right movie? <laughs> <laughs> but just things think But we open in this nightmare. What's go- we have, we're opening up with Jill Sholin, Maggie, our main character, having a nightmare. What's going on, boys? Talking through a nightmare. Well, she's seeing Lanyard Gates, right? She's seeing, like, seemingly the head of, of this supposed film cult guru someone or other who may or may not well that's really i don't want to say more because if i say more it gives away what happens he's murdering somebody real ritualistically and a little girl is running away from the scene there's a lot of smoke there's a big dagger um so we're not really sure lots of explosions we're not really Mm -hmm. sure what's going on yeah yeah Yeah. standard nightmare we find out that this is a recurring nightmare when she finally wakes up, she's talking about it with her mom in the kitchen. You know, One of the things that's interesting about this movie is that they fired, they shot for three weeks with a different actress in this role. Oh, interesting. Fired mm-hmm. her and fired the director. This whole first scene, like the nightmare scene and, and, and the scene in the kitchen with Dee Wallace, Jill Shulin had gotten off the plane, did not have a script, nothing, had been up for like 36 hours because she was shooting another movie and was actually asleep on the set. 
Like when the cameras were rolling, they had to actually go and wake her up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but okay, so it turns out that she's a film student. So she's using this as inspiration for her next film. Who's this mysterious man? Whatever, it's cool. His eye gleams like volcanic lava. Sarah stands transfixed, like a deer in a car's headlights. Sarah, why did you name your character Sarah? I don't know. More dreams, huh? Yep. I'm not getting any sleep, but it's going to make a great film. I wonder if Orson Welles dreamt Citizen Kane first. Hi, kids. This is Patrick from the future. Whoa! I just wanted to chime in here because I realized we got off topic. We got ahead of ourselves, actually. We got a little bit ahead of ourselves because at the beginning of the movie, we had this nightmare scene, as, as Dan described and, and Peter, that, you know, this creepy guy, long wig, swords, fire, explosions, and she's running in a fabulous diaphanous nightgown. What Maggie does not know, Maggie just thinks this is a regular nightmare. It's just a recurring nightmare. She doesn't know who Lanyard Gates is. She's never heard of Lanyard Gates. She does not realize that Lanyard Gates is an actual person who committed actual crimes. And she doesn't know that this isn't just a nightmare. It's a repressed memory. I just wanted to throw that out there. Just, you know, Maggie doesn't seem like an idiot. Right in the beginning. Okay, whatever. Back to the show. Bye. Can I ask a question? Yeah. Just something procedural. Like, I... If I wouldn't have read, like, a plot summary after watching it, it wasn't clear to me. Like, I mean, I figured out that it was a film class, but they just, they sort of glossed that all over, right? I didn't know who was who. I figured Tony Roberts was the professor. But Tom Villard and the blonde lady came off, like, the TAs or something, and I couldn't figure out what the hell was going on. I was like, is this high school? Is this community college? They made some comment about them being the future filmmakers of America and... And I was like, oh, Jamaica, like yeah. A, like a high profile, you know, school. Is this like Tish or, you know, I don't know they what. They go to they the just... University of California at Ocean View. But, you know, the, <laughs> yes. the, the placard they made up to make Kingston, Jamaica look like Southern California. Which it still doesn't but, at all. <laughs> it but doesn't. Did, but did they then say why they needed to put on that film festival? Like that, that wasn't made clear to me. They did. They did. They did. I, they did. Okay. They, it was. It was really. It was really quick at the top of the scene. They were saying that their budget got slashed. That the pro mm-hmm. the program's budget got slashed because it's a new program and it's not fancy yet. I missed yeah, that. Yeah. So that's what's happening. So there. This she's in this film class and it's all you know wacky characters. And one of the things that is unfortunate about this film, you got a lot of great character actors in this that I've seen in a million mm-hmm. other things. Very recognizable cast. You don't get to spend a lot of time with them because of the gimmick of the movie. Right. Because mm-hmm. you spend so much watching these old movies, which is great. It's a great part of the movie. But unfortunately, the trade-off is, is that the characters are very thin. They're, do- they're doing great work, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I, just, I just want to know all of them a little bit more. They're all likable. The thing is, it just feels like we meet them in that class. We don't really meet them. And then next thing you know, they're putting together this film festival. There's sort of no meat in between. So you don't really get to really spend any time with them no no yeah and they all sort of check off a box too right you've got the disabled guy you've got the urban girl you've got the, you know so it, it ends up they end up just having to be types as opposed to, to characters yeah the other thing i don't like about the movie i hate her boyfriend i do not like mark <laughs> <laughs> why does he keep getting locked out he keeps F- getting that's locked always out. kind of that's funny that's funny i do like the fact that he keeps getting beaten up the whole movie he's but- a klutz yeah <laughs> But he's, the, the character never—he doesn't react to anything ever. He's just bland. He's just pretty face. Boring, boring, boring. He's very aggressive at the beginning, and then he's bland. Like he kind of mouth rapes her at the beginning. 
Yeah, he's like, hey, we're going to fuck or what? She's like, I'm sorry, exactly. I'm in class. <laughs> no, <laughs> my to my script. right now. Yeah. She says, I've got my script. And at that point, we don't know anything about her script. So I'm like, what fucking script are you talking about? Mark. Mm, mm, I want you, Maggie, right Mark, now. I can't. Come on, let's go back to my place. I'm, I'm dying without you. Mark, this is the age of safe sex. And sex with you on any level is not safe. Come on, Maggie. Why won't you give us a chance? Huh? I'm crazy about you, but I'm not going to let you shine me on forever. I'm not. I'm just concentrating on my script right now. <clears throat> yeah, right. The script. Come on. This is really important to me. I just can't let anything distract me. Okay. Okay. I see. I just hope that I'm still around when you decide to get distracted. This her nightmare script. <laughs> she talks She she talks into the, the, the tape. She tells, she recounts her nightmares, nightmares into this tape so that she can put that into the script later. But yeah, we don't get in the sense that she's, you know, typing away at this script, that she's locking herself away. She's pushing it, everything out of her life so she can write this masterful script about her nightmares. And at basically. that point, I don't think we know anything about them being movie film students, right? Like they haven't been in class yet, so it just comes off very random. Yeah, yeah. Well, but she was talking. She said that in her conversation with Dee Wallace, she's like, "It's got to make a great idea for a script for my film." Until mm-hmm. so just like little, yeah. it, it happens fast. Yeah. Well, as someone who's watched it once. It is a lot to take in, especially if you don't know where it's going. Like, well, who are these people? What's happening? Yeah. One of my favorite things, two of my favorite things in any movie is when you have a getting ready montage mm. mm-hmm. and a completely unnecessary musical number. And this movie has both. Both. <laughs> Very happy. Very happy because we're, we're barely into the movie and we've got a getting ready montage when they take over this old theater and they're, they're fixing everything up. Oh, I'm sorry. We jumped ahead. We jumped ahead. We get the idea for the, the whole idea of the with this film festival that they're going to do to make it stand out is that they're going to be showing old horror movies. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. What makes you think people are going to pay six bucks to see some crappy old movie they wouldn't even rent for 99 cents? Because you can't see Mosquito at home in uh, 3D. What's it, what's it called? Projecto vision. Right. Ooh. Nor can you watch uh, The Stench in authentic odoroscope. Aromarama. Oh. <laughs> Those cards given at the theater. Use those in lots of movies. Right. Or the amazing electrified man in Shakoscope. <laughs> and that's why they're going to pay 10 bucks. See, every one of these pictures was originally released with some kind of a promotional gimmick. Yeah, which we're going to recreate for our audience only with improvements. So on the one hand, it'll be a total goof. And on the other hand, we're going to scare the living shit out of them. <laughs> so. And what's going to put butts in the seats is that they're playing these old stinkers from the 1950s and 60s that had these crazy gimmicks, these William Castle-style gimmicks that they just don't do anymore. And to make sure they get everything right, to get all the gimmicks authentic, they enlist the help of Ray Walston, Academy Award winner Ray Walston, two-time Tony winner Ray Walston from South Pacific, from my favorite Martian, from Damn Yankees, the devil himself, Mr. Han from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. He was even a villain on Friday the 13th of the series for my Demi Uncle Lewis listeners. He's on screen for two minutes, and they're the best two minutes in the movie. <laughs> He's just serving old school Hollywood, old school theater. Great stuff. Now, what you see here are the priceless relics of a bygone era of showmanship. I refer not to myself, but to the contents of these crates, which I have stored and lovingly tended since my own youthful days as manager of a movie palace, very much like the dreamland. We had theaters in those days, not like these cine omni multi 
Watchamaplex things today with 29 screens the size of postage stamps. And we had fun. The ballyhoo, the giveaways, the bullshit. <laughs> I could tell you stories. The point is, we put the butts in the seats where they belong. And they loved it. Now, what you guys got in your festival are turkeys. And not fresh turkeys either. But here I am, the master chef of showmanship, to teach you how to turn those withered turkeys into a memorable movie-going feast. So, step right up and we'll all get started. Dr. M, right? Isn't that what he's called? Yeah. Dr. M. I've tried, apparently, okay, apparently, I've looked at his name on IMDb. It's like, it's like M-N-E-S-C-C-Y-E. Apparently, Ray Walston could never pronounce his own name in the film, so they cut it. <laughs> Dr. M. Dr. M. <laughs> and uh, Ray, Ray Walston apparently came in, like, did his shit and left. He's like, fuck all this, fuck all this. <laughs> like, it was a cranky old man. <laughs> He's an interesting, that's an interesting character because I, I thought, well, it's Ray Walston, right? So he's got to come back at some point. He's got to reappear. Like, wh- why is he in this movie? He's he's giving them- I'm a day player. I'm out. <laughs> My day is I'm done. I'm coming to Jamaica. I'm going to soak exactly. up some sun and buy some ganja and then go home. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to do my, my, my two-minute monologue, do my fucking Broadway song and dance routine, charm the socks out of everybody, show these little runs how it's done and get the fuck out of town. <laughs> with my weed <laughs> <laughs> with my weed they were setting him up as a suspect maybe I guess because I guess. that's true I never when, even when the first time I saw it I was never thinking suspect because I was thinking well yeah. I guess it's Lanyard Gates but um, hi this is Patrick from the future again something that got left out of our conversation was how we find out who Lanyard Gates is what happens is they're setting up for the horathon, and in the box that Ray Walston gave them with all the the crazy goofy props and stuff is a reel of film and they're like we're not supposed to get another movie are we what is this it's just do not open danger so of course they open it and of course they play it and it's this experimental film called Posetta which looks suspiciously like Maggie's Nightmares And immediately Maggie recognizes, oh my God, that's the guy from my dreams and passes the fuck out. And when she wakes up, we find out that Mr. Davis uh, knows who Lanyard Gates is because he used to be one of his culties. It was ludicrous. The audience laughed it off the stage. Possessor was his response. How do you mean? He didn't like being laughed at, so he shot all of Possessor except for the last scene. When he showed the film, he played the last scene live on stage. He murdered his family in front of the audience. Huh? Set fire to the theater, locked the doors. A lot of people were killed. I always thought the film went up in smoke, too, but I guess a fragment of it survived. So the group collectively decides, fuck this. Let's just put this back in the canister, forget it ever happened, and go on with the horathon, because what could possibly go wrong? Meanwhile, Maggie's having none of this. She's all freaked out about it, naturally. So, of course, she's going to bring it up to her mom, Suzanne, who we start to figure out knows a lot more than she's been telling us. Well, I thought he would come back because they, they do hint at something supernatural happening in the movie, you know, early on, and then... 
nothing really comes of Oh, that. you mean that scene so, with Dee Wallace that's completely impossible when you know what's actually going on? <laughs> all this supernatural shit sense. that's happening? <laughs> no. Yes. No. I thought maybe that was engineered by Ray Walston and that he was going to come back and be supernatural, but that didn't Yeah, the bad out. guy, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that would make sense. That would make sense, but it doesn't happen. But yeah, this whole this, this yeah. whole scene up when uh, uh in these early scenes with with uh, Jill Sholin, Dee Wallace is getting creepy phone calls. Hello. Miss Judith. Sorry, wrong number. Remember who the ninth circle of hell is reserved for. <laughs> and she she threatened to come. You better come see me at the theater. I'm waiting <laughs> for you in Dreamland, Suzanne, and bring a nasty little gun. Suzanne and a nasty little gun. <laughs> Hello. The ninth circle of hell is reserved for traitors. Who is this? So she goes to the creepy old theater, which apparently was was a real theater, was really abandoned, and apparently smelled like piss. Mm. It was a real cesspool. <laughs> but yeah, when she shows up, like the letters come flying off the screen, off, all, the letters come flying off the, the marquee, and like a different marquee pops up, and all this shit is happening. We, who's, in the, who's in the booth? Who's running this? Who's running this? How's this happening? When you realize that right. it's not a ghost, you're setting up a supernatural yeah. movie, but I don't care. Fine. It so, ends up saying pos- Possessor, right? I mean, it's it's something that... Possess her. Well, that's the whole thing. He wanted to possess her, but he could not possess her. <laughs> you know, that's probably he had an accordion the... too. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's one of the best scenes in the movie. To be to be honest, uh, I just think it's atmospheric. I think it's kind of scary. I like the music. You know, I always love Dee Wallace in anything. She always brings like genuine emotion uh, mm-hmm. to anything. I think that's one of the best scenes. That's one of the. That's one of the most. Um, that's one of the scariest scenes in the movie. I think. Yeah, it's one. Is, of the, I agree. It's, that's why I forgive it. Yeah, it's well done. It's well shot. These, this guy, this guy who came in who who uh, wound up directing it, uh, mostly an actor, did all the mm-hmm. Porky's movies. Knew Bob Clark that way. Uh, he's a regular on the show Bosch on Amazon. But he came in. It was he had directed a short before and got plopped into this and had no script. They're like, start shooting. And apparently that was one of the first <laughs> scenes he was shooting was this Dee Wall scene. He's like, all right. I have no idea what's going on in this movie at all, but let's do this. But if still, it was all him, he did a great job. But He did a great job because he's whipping out key lights on her. I'm like, look at that old yes. school Hollywood key light they got on her face this whole scene. <laughs> you don't see that in low-budget horror movies. There are rumors, though, that Bob Clark did step in and, and either co-direct or completely direct parts of this movie. So, um, Yes. Yes. Well, as, the, as, the, as this guy Mark – oh, gosh. Mark Harrier. Mark Harrier. Mark Harrier says, he's like, he was always over my shoulder. And the thing is, they yeah. were so behind schedule. There were parts like, you have to do this. I have to do this. Like, Bob was running second unit. So he was directing part of the film. But yeah, it is, but he was yeah. obeying what Mark said. I thought, didn't Mark Harrier just do the film within a film sequence? No, that was, Alan or- than- that was Alan Ormsby. Alan Ormsby, for those oh. of you who might remember, from old Bob Clark movies like Children yeah. Shouldn't Play With Dead Things. Okay, I got it mixed up then. He's the weird guy who led the weird theater troupe, but apparently he was really weird in real life and did a great job with the um, movies within a movie. 
Yeah. Yeah. But they took they took way too long. They went way over budget, and he was really lazy with the regular part of it. So they just said, "You got to go and take this girl with you." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there those segments are really well done. I mean, they capture the time, they capture the style of those movies, they capture the camp. So I can see how he could become obsessed with them. They they turned out really great, and the oh, acting is great in them. Yeah. Yeah. Mark Hellier even says on the documentary that when he was brought in, you know, with no script or anything, and he finally got to sit down and see the rushes, the first thing that they showed him was the footage from these fake movies. And he's looking at them going, this is brilliant. What's the problem? Why did you fire this guy? This is the best thing I've ever seen. But then when he saw the rushes of the rest of the movie, he's like, oh, now I get it. The energy is totally off. Yeah, yeah those really are all are. Shot, And those are all shot in Miami. Miami actors, of course. <laughs> and I did, I did also read that, like in the scene with D. Wallace and other scenes, like they would shoot the uh, exterior of the theater, and then the interiors were shot shot in Toronto. Oh no! Oh yeah! No! Yeah. Here, here we go! Yeah, no, no, no. The in- the exteriors were shot in, in Kingston. The inter- uh, the interior audience part of the theater was shot in Kingston. Almost anything that happened on stage was in Toronto. Toronto, where all the sound oh, was, nice. and the whole movie was looped. Amazing. Yes, I saw so I heard that wow. too. Three Amazing. countries this movie <laughs> goes through to get made. <laughs> and they had to splice everything up. Apparently, Jill Sholin hardly ever worked with most of the cast because she wasn't in s- scenes with them. So it was mm-hmm. just her getting spliced into stuff. So And they had working around all this old footage. And the fact anything came out at all is amazing. Does that make sense? And but, also, okay. if you look closely, you can still see the original actress sometimes in the background of In scenes. the montage. She's very noticeable. In the montage. Who's that blonde bitch? <laughs> Amy O'Neill, who was who was the daughter in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, the older daughter. Okay, let's talk about the movies mm-hmm. that they're showing. Mosquito. Somebody right just Let me get some stuck a big needle or something in him and just sucked the blood out. Someone or something. <laughs> Got the whole dang flock. Give an Effie. <laughs> <laughs> in 3D, in like Emergio Vision, it's a spoof on uh, William Castle's Emergio Vision, which we used in House on Haunted Hill, where a giant skeleton came and flew out over the audience. Okay, one of the things is during, during quarantine, I need boring shit to go to sleep. For a while there, I was putting on riff tracks or MST3K movies, and a lot of them are this style of movie, this, this particular American big bug monster movie. And they nailed everything. The fact that it's all like military propaganda. It's all old rah, rah, America. We can do no wrong business nonsense. It's like half the movie's stock footage. Yeah. My favorite part of it was that the mosquito was afraid of Jesus. I'm scared of this. Yay, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Jim, keep leaving. <laughs> the big cross <laughs> and the classic scene of the pincer going through the roof of the car and sucking the guy dry that special effect was perfect i just love that little his head just shrivels up like a, like a race shrivels space. up would never have happened in a 1950s movie but i don't care i don't care <laughs> right and and cork and corky walking away with that corky <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Excuse me, Lieutenant, sir. What is it, Corky? We got an emergency over at Fielding's Pond, sir. Folks over there are saying that big larvae are breeding in the water. Now we got Let's people go. breeding in, in the, the mountain. Mountain. I could have gotten a 
wasn't his name like Cubby? The actor was named Corky. Cubby playing Corky. Oh, Cubby Brown. But in the credits, it says Cubby Brown or something like that. Cubby. Cub. Uh, so they, they nailed both the actor and the character. Girl was serving it. face, that whole segment. It's all very funny. It's all very funny. I love how quickly they decide to drop the atom bomb, too. It's just, you know, this art. Like, and they're fine. And they're atom bomb, and then it's, well, but I think we need to drop an atom bomb, and then they just do. I'm like, where did this come from? There's no countdown or anything. It's just, <laughs> no countdown. Boom. They don't take, you know, the people, everybody's fine. <laughs> it just took care of the mosquito, and everybody's fine, because America. Yes, exactly. For one sort of, I mean, it's not a Godzilla-sized mosquito. It's like a, it's a mosquito, but it's the size of a car. You got to drop an atom bomb to kill that mosquito, and it's one, (laughs) it's one mosquito. (laughs) Dan, it's the size of a 1950s car. (laughs) Oh, right, right, right. Those those were big. That's a tank. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Plymouth Furies were big. Yeah, the other movie was, um, uh, oh, the uh, the amazing electrical, electrified man. About a guy who survives the electric chair and now has the power of electricity flowing through him all the time so he can kill people with it and get revenge on the whole world. So long, Vernon. Adios, Big Bill. Warming up for me, Vernon. Any time, Maxie. Hey, Vernon, whatever they tell you, don't sit down. <laughs> uh, I'll keep that in mind, Otis. Vernon, when you get to heaven, will you tell my ma I said hello? I ain't going to heaven, Bobby. You should be glad to say hello to your daddy. And that, Electro-rama or something like that. Yes. Yes, which, of course, is a spoof on William Castle's The Tingler, which was shot in Perceptovision, where certain mm. seats in the audience were set up to electro- electrically shock the audience. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> There's no lawsuit there. We didn't see a lot of that, but the movie was dead on. Dead on that same kind of dead seriousness, taking everything really, really seriously. And you can tell everything's shot in one take sort of a thing. I thought the effects on that one were cool. The electricity and that it, it, it held up even by today's special effects standards, I felt like. The electricity within the inmates and the spreading out to the, to the rest of the populace. Also helps that it's in black and white. So you can see, you can't see sort of the seams. And so I think that special effects look better. And stars, what's his name? John, is it John Glover? Who is Crispin's dad? Did we all know that? I, I no did idea. not know that. Crispin Glover's dad. I didn't know he was an actor, and that's his. That's him. They had so an extra thing on the DVD that was like an interview with whoever Glover. It's not John. I know it's not right. I want to say David Donald something like that, but it's not something. Not, none of it's yeah. right. Fix it in post. Not um, it's Bruce Glover. I just looked it up. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, I don't know who that is. I'm not going to watch that. And there's no time. There's no time. <laughs> Other things to talk about. It's a random folk who couldn't even be on the DVD commentary. But anyway, uh, yeah. But they nail all that, and it's funny. And the last one is The Stench. Mm. <laughs> Which is the one we get to see the least of. We, yeah, we don't yeah. know much about The Stench. Whoa, P.U., what is that? Hmm, I don't know. Could be swamp gas. Well, it doesn't smell like swamp gas to me. Well, it's not me. <laughs> I'm not so sure. Well, whatever it is. It's getting worse. It's Japanese. That's about all we know. It's Japanese. It's Japanese. And it's filmed in a Romorama. Or Odorama or something. But whatever. And people think, oh, that's that's a ripoff of uh, John Waters' polyester. And I say, no. Somebody else did it first. There was a a kind of spy. Scent of mystery. Filmed in Smell-O-Vision. Yes, yes, Smell-O-Vision. You thought Aroma-Rama was bad? Smell-O-Vision. So just file it away that Elizabeth Taylor was in a movie that was filmed in Smell-O-Vision. In Polyester, you got scratch and sniff cards with smells mm-hmm. on it. 
because there was nobody ever going to try or, or Romarama ever again because it classically didn't work. Like it, people got sick. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so just, they were just fogging the audience the whole time with different smells, and it just all blended together, and and the fog would build up, and people couldn't see the screen. They couldn't watch the movie, which is why you're at the movies. Oh, they did actual gases as opposed to card the first time. Oh yeah, and set the mystery. This is another William Castle. This is another. Yeah, this William wasn't William Castle. Castle. This was some oh. other some other bright idea. Uh, he one of the things he didn't do because he would have done it right. He would have done it right. Oh my goodness! Just pumping gas into the theater. <laughs> the fog machine. Yeah. What could po- yeah? What could for for an hour and a half? What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> we can't see the screen. Everyone's passed out at the end of the movie. Carbon monoxide poisoning. Exactly. <laughs> and frankly, you know what? I, I mean, I guess that's cute, and I guess it maybe got people into the theater. But I hate that shit. You know what I mean? Like, I hate. Did you ever go to like? Midtown and go to those theaters where they shake the seats and they spit water in your face. Um, <laughs> I didn't. I don't like those. I'm, I'm like sorry. Excuse me. What kind of theater are you coming to, Dan? I didn't know they had them in you Times the, Square anymore. You know the 42nd. Yeah, right. Those were gone. <laughs> Disney's. In- <laughs> they squirt in your face. You have to look through a hole and it costs 25 cents for five minutes. The Bijou. It's, it's called 4D. They show movies in 4D where they like you know rumble and spritz water. I don't like those rides. Yeah. At theme parks, they get me sick. Why do I want an hour and a half of that? Exactly, exactly. Anyhow, like so, so Japanese. You know, we're going back to the 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 atom bomb thing, the Godzilla theory that the Japan were Japan was making movies about about um, you know uh, smells, uh, yeah, smells and <laughs> and um, <laughs> and nukes and stuff, and so yeah. And there is a there is a Japanese movie called The Green Slime, I think, right? Where it's about like a smelly green slime that's killing people. So But again, well done. In color and then the actors are dubbed and they're all they're all Asian Amer- of Asian descent. Like they got it, you know, like Alan Ormsby got everything just right and then he got canned. That's the nature of the biz. That's right. If you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. You couldn't take it and kinks in. Now you come crawling back to Broadway. But Broadway doesn't go for mosquitoes and fog. <laughs> well, it's telling that, that Stench gets the short shrift because in the credits, they have the credits for each of the three separate films. And, you know, the first two have quite a few people in terms mm-hmm. of personnel. And then Stench has four. <laughs> Just the four people. That's it. I guess there weren't a lot of Asian Americans in Miami at this time. Or they knew they, didn't, they, they knew that this movie was going to get cut off when the power gun went off they didn't need that much well, yes no, yes right true. right yeah alan ormsby yeah. was already on his way out okay so one of the things that i one of the other gimmicks of this movie is that the killer's changing faces mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which i think is really interesting do we have to say spoiler alert do we have to the say movie that? the movie is as 30 years old since i think we're okay <laughs> it's 30 you've had 30 years <laughs> Well, Patrick, I did not. I did not know who did. Like, I, I didn't. I didn't know the movie. I just watched it last night for the first time, and I, I guessed it was him, obviously, but I didn't. My know. people know we spoil the shit out of things here, <laughs> except if it's super new. Except if it's super new. Okay. Yeah, that that's fair. So yes, changing faces, Lon Chaney, man of a thousand faces. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even think of that. Well done. Well yeah. done. Well done. It's the first kill of the movie. Is 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 you know our our veteran here. Uh, Movie veteran Tony, Tony Roberts. Roberts. Tony Roberts. Tony Roberts. 
And Broadway, Broadway veteran, too. Broadway, Mr. I'm in Xanadu, and I can't wait to get out of it. This is going to close in two days. A year later, and he's like, this is the best show ever. I'm like, yeah, no, no, no. I saw your interview with Tony Roberts. You can't, you can't talk shit about Xanadu and get away with it. Thank you very much. Interesting career. He would go from Woody Allen to, like, Am- Amityville 3D and popcorn mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all over the map. Mm-hmm. All over the map. To be fair, Amityville was a big franchise. Both those, those first two movies made sure. a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And this one, he got a trip to Jamaica. Who wouldn't yeah. want to do it? And he gets a big, you know, like well, the other thing I wanted to say was like all the deaths in this movie are so grand guignol. They're so big and mm-hmm. they're great set pieces. And he gets one of the best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It gets repeated, but that's okay. That's a, that's a problem. That is a problem. Yeah. <laughs> he, he gets killed backstage uh, by the, the the giant mosquito goes out and it's flying around the audience. And it's a big hit. It's just like a... Emerjo in House of Haunted Hill, where William Castle dangles a skeleton over the audience during, during the final scene. But no, here we got a giant mosquito that's flying around the audience and everybody's screaming. And Mr. Davis is using the remote backstage, except all of a sudden he can't control it anymore. He's like, well, what's going on? It turns out somebody else has a master remote who starts controlling the mosquito, which on its flight path back into the wings of the theater, it goes off course and impales the shit out of Tony Roberts. And all the stuff with the audience is great. It adds such energy to the movies because the audience is going bananas for everything. It sounds fun. One of the yeah. things that also is terrible is that so much of the budget had to go for flying white extras in because he shot in Kingston. Of mm. course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, prob- that's probably why they were all wearing masks. Everyone who's wearing a mask is either black or one of the main cast who's doubling to help make sure that the non-actors are responding properly. Amazing. Yeah. The guy who played I'm Bud sure. was apparently out there constantly. I'm uh, sure you're right. Yeah. It's so funny to me that they have no funds and yet they renovate this theater and they put on this film festival, which looks like it probably cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. So I hope they make their money back because they have they have spent a lot to get this thing done. Just the masks, just the masks that they were making. Don't yes. they, they that was a kind of what the fuck moment to me. Like, why are you making these masks? Like and didn't Toby make the masks ahead of time? Were were they making more masks? I didn't get that part. He was making him as he's going along. Most of the part, like one of the things that happens in the montage is you see Toby putting right. a mask on Kurt. I think his name, mm-hmm. Kurt. Mm-hmm. And you're like, that makes sense because when he sh- shows up later on, you know, Kurt's face to face with himself. That mask was made in advance. But after ah. Mr. Mr. Tony Roberts is killed, you see Mr. him Davis. getting his face, Mr. Davis, his face getting, his face getting pressed into a mask. So he is making oh. them as, go- as he goes along. That's why he'll be quick right. there. Yeah. That was but his they, cover. <laughs> But that yeah. that's another expensive thing, right? And then what the fuck? They never use them. Like, what, you know, they never use them. When they all say, like, why are we making these masks and then not use them for the... No, he he he, had, he probably had to make one for himself every day once we know this. Okay, the whole story is, is that Toby is our killer. Toby was burned in a fire caused by this guy, Lanyard Gates. He was in the audience the night that Lanyard Gates killed his wife on stage, who, by the way, was Mrs. Barb Marley for a while, real life. Okay, oh. now I'm going to come back to the story. The theater was set on fire, and... Toby's mother was killed and he was horrifically burned. And he spent his entire life plotting this revenge. Lanyard Gates is dead. He died in the fire 15 years ago. If you're Toby, why are you. Why are we going to kill you? Is that your question? Why are you doing this? Oh, good question. Same answer, actually. See, I was caught. In that fire, too. My mother was in 
Lanyard's so-called film cult. We were sitting in the front row when your Aunt Suzanne shot Lanyard and set fire to the theater. You luckily got out. We unluckily did not. As one does. Because also on stage was Jill Sholin as the little girl. He was also going to kill his daughter, but she escaped because Dee Wallace came on. The wife's sister saved D, saved the girl, and he's he's been following around because you it's got very out. Convoluted. It's, this all happened because it's of very you. Convoluted. <laughs> it's very convoluted, and also if 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 you're D Wallace and you save your niece from this fire and raise her as your daughter, why do you stay in the same town? Right? Wouldn't you leave? Wouldn't you go far, far? Did far they though? Away? Did they though? Because it's not the it's not. Yeah, I mean, and you know, well, it's, it's lost. And it all did, happened in that movie theater, right? And dissuade her from going into no, film. no, no, no. It didn't it happen in that movie, movie theater. theater. Am I getting it all wrong? No. Okay, that theater burned to the ground. Yeah, see, too convoluted, too too much going on. <laughs> Let it wash over you, Dan. Let it wash over you. Let but why would you. D. Wallace Stone allow her niece to go into filmmaking? <laughs> she would kind of say like, hmm. There's that. There's that. You want to get into that now? <laughs> this seems like a bad idea. She'll never find out. She'll never find out about the history of her father. It'll never, you know, <laughs> it'll be okay. No, no. Yeah. Oh, well. Until no, the uh, phone calls come. But, mm. however, however, these scenes where you're seeing people that we know were dead yeah. strutting about in the theater are very creepy. Watching the movie the first time going, what the fuck mm-hmm. is going yeah. on? This movie does a lot of things, uh, you know, a lot of things creaky and not right but it does a lot of a few things right and that scene where he's flipping through the faces is uh, is unnerving and disturbing i've perfected the quick transition from face to face of course i have to borrow their faces to do it you might say i'm (laughs) multi-identical Now, with a little nip here and a little tuck there, I become multisexual. Nothing new about that, huh? And as you've heard, with the help of electronic voice harmonics, I become Tina, the class bimbo. (laughs) I can look like anybody I want to. It's one of the few advantages of not having the face. You know, also, Villard's performance on top of it sells it, but it is such a... Yeah, it's such a and that machine and let you know going back to the 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 things floating in pink water like it's all kind mm-hmm. of un, mm-hmm. undisturbing. Yeah, and the makeup's great in it. The makeup's yep. fantastic. It is. It's really good. It's really good. One of the things that really saves it for me, like I said, is Tom Villard's performance because we have we he manages to make this, this villain quite frightening and yet sympathetic. Because the thing is about Tom Villard, if you're not familiar with his work, Tom Villard was like a second-rate Tom Hanks. He had one character that he was always allowed to use, and it was always this dopey kind of guy, pretty much what you see the first half of the movie. So when all of a sudden you realize that he's like bringing, he brings all of his skills when he was playing the killer, because he's also a dancer, so he's very physical. It's an incredible physical performance. And dark, angry, but still also kind of Mm -hmm. funny. It's not going. It's not going full Freddy Krueger with jokes. He's making jokes, but they're not funny because he's being scary. Like with his little scarecrow thing from The Wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. Like that's really fucked up. <laughs> mm-hmm. Really, he's fucked very up. sympathetic, and his death scene at the end, you really feel sad for 
you really feel sort of a loss. And I guess it's also, I, I guess we also know what happened to him in real life and that plays into it, but it's, but it's very, what's the word? Is that, a, is that elegiac? Elegiac? Just what happened? Sure. <laughs> why not? Look it up. I don't, Replace I it later. It's... Replace it later in post. Dan, William Shakespeare made up so many words all the time. You just, you're welcome to wordsmithery. It was very elegiac the way Tom Villard <laughs> dies at the end of this movie. I always thought that word was elegaic. It's elegiac. Elegaic. I don't know. I've only read it. I've never only read it. I've never heard it. But anyway. I don't know. There was there was some there was some symmetry to it. It was just it was just kind of sad and you know, and then the the movie destroys it by having stupid it was, it was tragic. I think stupid it's, lovers talk at the end. Yeah. I think it's the Phantom of the Opera trope too, right? Where we sort of have sympathy for the Phantom to some degree and it's it this really is it's got this movie definitely has some Phantom of the Opera and Phantom of the Paradise elements to it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And also Nightmare on Elm Street with the burned killer and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Like I'm sure I'm sure that at one point they were like, Okay, this killer has to be burned and scarred because mm-hmm. Freddie was. It more reminded me of Vincent Vincent Price and Abominable Doctor yeah, Fine. Yes. That's really what the makeup reminded me of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, especially like with the big staples. Yeah. Yes. Oh. Like holding his face together was yeah. really frightening. And the fake nose shit that you don't normally like like Freddie's like fancy burnt. Yeah. That's still good. I still have features. This guy doesn't have no features. I was a child too, Tony. You were a child, good. I was a child, we were all children. Nobody was a child like me. Nobody. Shall I describe the years of surgery I went through, huh? The skin grafts, the prosthetic pieces. I had to glue on my face all through school, every day of my life, so the other kids wouldn't scream. When they saw me coming, uh, here, I'll show you how it works. Yeah. And one of the one of the things that resonated with me this time when I watched it, uh, I, I was realizing afterwards, one of the things I like about this, too, is that not everybody dies. The whole cast doesn't die. Mm-hmm. Some of the cast is never in danger. Kelly Jo Minter, because she's like, fuck that. She doesn't die. I'm not going to fuck with her. <laughs> she never dies. No. But there's Joanne, uh, Joanne, uh, Joni, 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 the, 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 dippy the one. girl with the blonde hair and the nurse's outfit. Who I love, by the way, like she's the one who's going to hang out with the gays. Yes, yeah, <laughs> did, man. He says that at one point, right? Did she? Did she? Yeah. Was she the one that appeared in a league of her own? Did I read that that she was in a league of her no, own? No, no, that's that that's that's that was Tina. Oh, okay, the other one. Okay, the other blonde. Yeah, the more traditional Hollywood blonde. Yes, Joni was your alt girl. Mm-hmm. Look, she had the she had the platinum blonde, like the totally and the funky hairstyle, and her clothes were always cool and. But who has got the crush on Toby? Do you guys know where Toby lives? Uh, 48 Crescent Road, apartment 73, about five blocks away. Believe it. She's the world's authority on Toby D'Amato. The scene that really struck me was that Toby is coming for her at one point. Yeah. He's going to kill her. Mm-hmm. But she's, she's working the fog machine for the stench. Took you long enough. I had some gas. Spare me the details. Anyway, what do you think? About what? Toby, does he like me? Likes you? What's wrong with your voice? You sound so weird. Uh, I got a frog in my throat. <sighs> Sounds like a crocodile. Anyway, I need to know. I mean, I'm walking around madly in love with this guy, and he just acts like I don't even exist. You're impartial. What's your opinion? Is he shy or what? Look, I got my own problems. Just leave me alone, all right? Men. 
and it freaks him out and he leaves. I'm like, oh, that's really sad. And I was left wondering, was Toby touched by her words? Was he moved? Did he spare her out of sympathy? And it turns out, no, it's rage. He's furious. We're about to find out. Mm-hmm. Then I went, you know what? And then I'm like, what about I want to change the movie if they'd gotten together? And I'm like, wait a minute. He probably doesn't have a dick anymore. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> no, seriously. I'm serious. No, I'm serious. Like, he's probably not capable of physical love at this point, aside from his horrible appearance. Because we learn as soon as he walks off that scene, what we get from him is not, oh, I let her go out of sympathy or out of, you know, love. No, it's impotent rage. Don't you! I, I got, I got troubles on my own here! Don't you, don't you talk about love to me! I gotta make a movie here! No! Mm-hmm. But give him another reason to be so angry and to, you know, and to commit the things he's, he's committing against Jill Sholin, who really has no reason to be. I mean, you know, D. Wallace really has, he, he has more reason to stalk her than he does to, to stalk Jill Sholin. Yeah, because D. Wallace apparently shot Leonard Gates and also is the one who set the theater on fire. So it's totally D. Wallace's fault. It's all her fault. <laughs> it's like, it's D. Wallace. Fucking, she's a werewolf. We're not going to fuck with her. No, no. She I killed no. Cujo. She killed Cujo. <laughs> and she saved D.T. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I don't understand the final tableau, though, of her, like, froze. Are we going to get to that? Okay. Well, that, I want to talk. I have a joke okay. about that. Well, because that's what she did. He wants. He wants. To, he wants her to be a part of it. He's like, "You're going to be on stage, but I want to keep you here." So he casts her. He casts her in a role. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Literally. She's in plaster, which right. I think is really funny. And also with the gun, so she can't shoot it. It's just, just that she's going to have to watch. So it's just okay. Got it. What he's going to do? Got it. She's a captive audience. And my whole thing is like, wouldn't my whole thing is like, wouldn't it be great at some point if all of a sudden the cast like. Like cracks open at some point, and she's like, "I'll be in the folly, would be in the cabaret." Woo! She, all of a sudden, she's Bernadette Peters, and <laughs> and D Wallace, D Wallace could do it. She could do anything. She could do anything. Move over, Bernadette. <laughs> oh, the, oh, I'm sorry, that was a really gay reference. I'm sorry, that was extra gay for Pride Month. There you go. We got it. You're right. They're both in those casts. They could pop open both for Maggie and for <laughs> D Wallace. Mm. We could do a little Sunday in the Park with Alan Ormsby. This is also. I'm surprised I didn't bring this up at the top of the show. This falls into the subgenre of horror films that I made up right here on Scream Queens. And you listeners know it and love it. I haven't brought it up in a long time. This is what I call a this one bitch movie. Once upon a time, this one bitch did something and fucked up everybody's life. And now everybody, everybody in the movie is going to die except this one bitch. Because this guy is mad at this one bitch. And this one bitch could have saved everybody if she had gone to the police at one point. But she doesn't. Everybody dies except this one bitch whose fault it was in the first place. This one bitch. What are other examples of the this one bitch genre? My classic one is particularly not so much the original, but I still know what you did last summer. Uh, yeah. The whole hotel staff gets murdered in that movie for something that she did. Not what they did, mm-hmm. but she did. Mm-hmm. True. <laughs> you know what? You know what? Very popular. You know what slasher movie this harkened for me was happy birthday to me. The whole face changing thing. I looked like you. I walked like you. I even learned to talk like you. Have you seen that movie, Peter? Mm-hmm. Right? It's 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 as it's as ridiculous as this movie. The killer, it is. the killer it has is. been changing faces in order to get away, uh, in order to you know murder people, and and you know like the faces are perfection. She would have to be a a A plus Hollywood special effects artist just like the character in this movie so it's exactly because great great this guy like toby's pressing out these faces on this press but 
they're latex. <laughs> right. You have to, you have to, you have to, you have to paint them. You have to, you have to put makeup on them. That takes a long time. But no, they come up bang perfect because they leave press on faces. They convince people. <laughs> Just lick and stick. <laughs> <laughs> I love that scene where he's trying all of them on. Like he's mm-hmm. he's he's kidnapped her. He's holding her captive, and he's trying all the faces on. Mm-hmm. It's such a we such a great. Yeah, and he's, he's showing how I can be anybody, yeah. and mm-hmm. it's creepy. My favorite part of it is that he like he's got his own face on, With but the ears flat. aren't glued down. Yeah. It's comic, but horrific. And that's what I'm talking about, his performance. It's like, you don't know whether to scream or laugh. Like, this really fucked up. I mean, he, like, flaps him like that, like a dog. Mm-hmm. Great. You'll have to forgive the sloppy craftsmanship. My favorite example of this uh, is it, one of the creepiest scenes for me was was the corpse puppetry. Yes. Yeah. There's a, like, Tina has a fantastic death scene when she makes out with Tony Roberts for five seconds, but not knowing it's not Tony Roberts, but the mask melts. And the big glue yeah. thing happens. Bud needs you. And by the way, so do I. Your lip, it's peeling. Nerves. <laughs> How about a quickie? Right here, which is that little screen between us and public exposure. Everybody always wonders how I get those straight A's. I keep telling them I do lots of extra credit assignments. Still breathing. And she gets strangled, but Mark and T. Okay, Maggie is doing no work. Right. At this horathon. Like, she thinks she sees Landon Gates and, like, I'm not going to do any of my jobs. Everybody else do my work. Bye. Yeah. Here we go wander around the theater because I'm this one bitch. I didn't even think of this that. Everybody's right. doing the job except this one bitch. <laughs> it was just. Yeah. <laughs> doing all the wrong things. <laughs> but. But they come, they 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 come across. They're they're walking around backstage in the theater, and they see Tina because he's getting rid of the corpse, but he gets caught. So he just is standing behind her, moving her like a puppet and doing her voice, and it's really disturbing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when he's done, he just throws her on the ground like a fucking sack of rags. Sack of rags. It's gross. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this movie- very disturbing. <gasps> Tina, you scared me. Are you okay? Mm-hmm. Shh, audience. Right, um, what are you doing up here? Securing the mosquito. Hey, listen, did you see anybody come into the box office after I left? Mr. Davis. Where'd he go? He just left. Damn it. Well, maybe I could still catch him. Tina should start eating better. She looks like shit. Bye. Yeah, this movie, I mean... 
this movie do, gets so a few things so right. It it just got like, and you're like, I wonder who was responsible for that. Was it Ormsby? Was it Harrier? Was it Bob Clark? And then it just gets other things totally wrong. And and so it's it's so it was such a frustrating viewing experience because you're like, I want it, I want to like this so much, but there's so much of this that is annoying. Was Tina the same? Tina was the blonde girl that then during the montage tried on a black wig and then she stayed in a black wig for the rest of the movie, right? Yes. That was her, yeah. Oh my god! Yeah. So why, <laughs> why do that? Okay, that. Okay, no, that was a whole thing. They talk about that. They like they had to go. They had to redo so much stuff, and it's Kingston, Jamaica, and they said these wardrobe women, like the whole cat, like the whole crew, was days from walking out mm. when the turnover happened with the new director. It, it just the turn up. Mark had everything together and was able to talk everybody down, but they had limited supplies. They had limited people, and so they're like, we have to reshoot all this shit, and we have to make new costumes because this girl's a different size, and this doesn't work anymore, and they just were basically grabbing whatever the fuck they had. So that's why that happened. It was a different actress? No, it was the same actress playing Tina the whole time. Yeah, but whatever, but it was just things like that, like whatever, they like, they realized, we, oh, fuck, we don't have a costume for this one now, so we're just, okay, this, but this looks too much like that one? Fuck it, we'll dress in the same. Like continuity. It'll make a joke. Continuity be damned, in other words. Well, no, they had to do what they can with what they, you know, they made do. They made do. Okay. Uh, like they're saying, like, like special effects teams are like, okay, we have to do this, except you're not bringing in the stuff that we're used to. You're d- buying the materials that you can get here in Kingston, Jamaica, mm-hmm. which isn't as good. It doesn't work the way like this with the stuff that we're used to, but we're going to have to figure out how to make it work. And the fact that anything works at all is amazing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess the fact that the movie looks as cohesive and as, I mean, it, it's a pretty good looking movie. I mean, I think the cinematographer was a British guy, very famous. Um, won the Oscar for Gandhi. Uh, and Gandhi was before this, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. wow. The whole film crew was British because it was a Jamaica thing. That's They're like, right. okay, yeah, well, you're coming in on this. That's yeah. right. It's not a, It's not an incompetent film. I mean, you know. No, no, no. It, it's Well, they said he was so. Yeah. Okay. Getting back to Tom Villard and being gay and him having AIDS. He had, he of course was hiding it the whole time. And he, they were saying he would be in makeup for six hours, seven hours, just, just getting the makeup applied. It's not counting that, you know, 10, 12, 18 hours on set actually shooting. And those contact lenses were incredibly painful and blinding, but he would always leave them in. They said there's one particular day, you know, really early on, it was very emotional. One of his emotional scenes, you know, the, the, when he's raging and being super physical. And they were waiting for this British director of photography to line up the shot and he was a perfectionist and it was just taking forever and it was taking forever and it was taking forever and during all this Tom Villard went over to the director and was like listen I need to tell you something and do not tell anybody else because they're gonna I, I'm afraid they're gonna fire me but I'm not doing well because I have AIDS and I don't know how much more I can take today I'm doing the best that I can but I don't know how much more of this I can take today mm. and Martha was like oh my gosh fine Fucker, wrap it up. We're doing this now. Yeah, yeah. Doing it right now. Amazing. Because you never, I mean, he you, you never get a sense in this movie that he is ailing or that he can't keep up. Or um, if anything, he's one of the most sprightly and alive forces in this movie, you know? So, so God, God love him. What a, what a, what a, what a trooper. Even that whole last scene on stage, which I hate with her and the cast. And he, again, again, in a scene that's very scream too. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna kill somebody in the audience. You know, going to cheer for us because they think it's part of the show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sort of thing. 
it's not working for me, but his performance is. Yeah. So it's again like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> doing something else because this is boring. Yeah, the last half hour of this movie is sort of so drawn out. You know, we learn about we learn that Toby is the killer an hour in, fairly early on. Yeah, and there's still yeah. thirty minutes left, and so I feel like it spins its wheels a lot, and it's not his fault. Um, you know, no, it's just it's a yeah. The kill quality goes down after a certain point. They get dull. Like uh, the guy with the twin. Uh, but one of the guys, the most boring guy, who, by the way, is only the guy that played Leon, is only in the movie because his parents are one of the producers. Oh, God. Of course. He's not bad, though. <laughs> he's not bad, but he's just, <laughs> he's just like Rick from Rick and, Mor- <laughs> Rick, Rick and Morty. Yeah, a little yeah. bit. Crazy, crazy wig and, and doctor's uniform. He's he's peeing at some point, and and Toby as the killer comes in and stand, starts peeing next to him in the exact same outfit in his face and in his costume. So they're like total twinsies. They're like total Haley Mills and Haley Mills. Let's get together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to tie it in with the movie, it's a whole kind of like cyanide bomb or something, and the toilet that explodes is lame. After what we've yeah. seen so far, is lame. And in a stall, lame. where you and could, then the finale is lame. You could probably crawl out from under that stall or crawl over it to get <laughs> out. <laughs> it's like I'm trapped in this stall. What am I gonna do? You can go under. You can go over. <laughs> or just you could you could slither through the glory hole. Whatever. Exactly. There's, always, there's always an option. Exactly. There's always an option. Breathe through the glory oh, hole. Oh, this tiny little lock. Right. I can't get out. This <laughs> tiny little, little flip lock. I can't get through. Is it. that oh. standard issue to have locks on the outside of toilets like that? I didn't. <laughs> in Jamaica, what do you know? Don't, don't leave their culture alone. You know nothing. <laughs> Toby's rigged. Know Toby's rigged the whole place as his own funhouse. One of the things I think is funny too, because I was listening, to the, I was listening to the DVD commentary, which had a lot of the cast and had the director stuff. They were laughing their heads off because they hadn't seen it in a long time. They're like, you know what? We had nothing to do with this. And we haven't seen it in a long time. But you know, considering you're trying to convince people you were not in Jamaica, why is all the music reggae? <laughs> <laughs> It's because there's a band playing at the theater yeah. that's reggae, and they're great. All their stuff is great. Sure, brings up the energy. But like even in other scenes where you hear a radio playing in the background, it's always reggae. Mm-hmm. Saturday <laughs> night, uh, that that montage, the, the montage movie, is reggae. That yeah. fucking song has been in my head ever since I watched the movie. Scary, scary movie <laughs> on the silver screen. Because <laughs> every American teen is every American teen is dying to listen to reggae. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, UB40 UB40 was a big group right around then, remember? Oh, yeah. They had one one hit at the time. time. That's all you need. That's all you need. On the alternative charts, they had plenty, but no, because I used to play them on DRE and LIR. Red, red wine. All the time, but red, red wine was the only one. And that was years after that song came out, before, after it hit. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. (laughs) Nobody cares. But, you know, surprisingly, it's, it's weird, and it just sort of fits into the fabric of this movie, but like you said, like, it's fun. They're not... You know, it, it, you sort of stop. You're like, oh, okay, another reggae song. It's kind of cool, and everyone's so into it. So, oh yeah, you buy I mean, it too. I mean, yeah, the band gets up to play in front of the crowd, and, and you know, they, they don't play a standard. They don't play Bob Marley. They don't play you know, Buffalo Soldier. They're not the Mighty Quinn. They're playing some song I never heard of, and 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 everybody knows the words. The whole crowd starts singing along, but we're totally not in Jamaica. There's a point where the lights go out. The power goes out in the theater. Sidebar. Things I noticed in the movie, like the power goes out in the theater. I'm going, who, who's fixing the lights? Because nobody's actually fixing the lights. Everyone's looking around for someone to fix the lights, but nobody actually fixed the lights. Mm-hmm. And in the whole last scene on the stage, the whole thing, like spotlights are coming on and following Toby. But who's running the follow spot? What is going on? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Well, 
doesn't Tom Villard go, doesn't he take her into the, the subterranean layer? And he says, this is where we keep the, um, this is where we keep the, so maybe he can control the lights. Maybe he knows how to fix them. But no, he was on stage, like, like performing for the audience. Okay, right. <laughs> the fancy box. He was in a follows we box. Come on now. We don't questions in popcorn. You know what? You know what? I'm going to, I just decided, I just decided, just decided that coincidentally the theater was also haunted. So that's why that happened with D. Wallace at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And this is why this is happening. It's, it's like the ghost mm-hmm. of a spotlight operator is, is just having me haunting the theater. Wait, he, 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 he just got cut. Possessor. Yeah. Possessor. Yeah, it's just a, it's a curious film. It's an oddity. I like it. Like it was a weird thing. It was a, it was a got great critical reviews. Bombed at the box office. Has developed a cult following now. The more I watch it, the more I like it. Like I can forgive a lot. The more I know the story of it and how hard they were trying to get anything out. Now, like is the fact that people were working as hard as they did to make a movie that came out as coherent as it did, considering how absolutely insane everything was backstage or off camera. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. It's certainly ambitious. It's certainly an ambitious movie. It's got a lot going on in it, um, both in the sub story, in the main story, and then in these, you know, these these uh, these three films, these three mini films that were shot inside it. So, so some someone had some big ideas, and uh, and like I said, some of it some of it works, some of it actually works, and and I. I watched it a couple of times, actually. And every time I watch it, I, I, I think I like it a little bit more. That's how I bet. Because I remember yeah. seeing it in the theater and I said, that was okay. Mm-hmm. Like, it was okay up to a point. And the more I watch it, the more it grows on me. Yeah, yeah. Because it's, it's, it's nothing. It's like nothing else. There is no other movie quite like this. Exactly. Yeah, considering it's an R-rated horror movie, there's not a lot of blood to it. There's no boobs. There's, no, there's none of the exploitation factor. You know, you have to know some... some gimmicky history it's made for a very specific audience and i guess the older i get the more i get <laughs> you had mentioned patrick about the title and i i frankly hate it too i i had read that they were going to call it phantom of the cinema hmm. and then changed it to popcorn well why well, I, I had read that too i heard that that was a proposed title uh, from when i heard that it was always called popcorn because there was a scene there was a scene involving something with popcorn that was a major plot element hmm that got cut. Okay. The distribution company liked the theater and they fell in love with their own tagline. Yeah. The tagline is great, by the way. <laughs> Buy a bag, go home in a box. <laughs> and the poster art is really great, although it sort of gives away the movie mm-hmm. a little bit. Well, it doesn't. It doesn't if you don't know. But that's, yeah, it seems so obvious. Like, why isn't there a death inside a popcorn maker? Like, that, that seems so obvious in a movie theater, right? Or use the popcorn maker something to kill somebody in some unique way, but... Or the popcorn saves the day. Yes. <laughs> Toby chokes on a big tub of popcorn. <laughs> he, gets scalding, he gets scalding butter on him and it just finishes the job. There you go. There you go. With Odell's <laughs> this, this butter. This is also stupid. With yes. Odell's butter. They need to have a death and, and somebody drown in Odell's. I can't believe it's not butter. <laughs> <laughs> it's his dying last My words. favorite stupid shot of the movie, my favorite stupid shot of the movie, just is because I'm a jerk, is when, we didn't talk about this, Bud's death is great. The wheelchair yeah. guy. Oh, yeah. 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 That whole sequence is great and very tense and suspenseful. He almost gets away. Mm-hmm. Oh, Bud, you'll get a charge out of this. Watch the panel. The lights will go on in the following order. Red, blue, green. Oh, what's that? Green, blue. Uh, oh, I forget. But the important light is that yellow one. When it turns on, bud, so do you. 
as he's being electrocuted and he's got that animated blue electricity that was in all the 90s movies because we didn't have CGI so yet. Bad. But perfect in its own right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a cheesy movie. What, there was no, and there was no other option. But you're seeing the lights flashing everywhere and they cut to the snack bar and the rotisserie that the wieners are on and <laughs> spinning wieners. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Like that, somebody should have gotten death by spinning weenie machine. That's what I would have liked. That's how I, that's I, I've decided. That's how I'm gonna go out. Malcolm Denaire, by the way, who was in Christine, and um, yes, Malcolm Denaire played Bud, and one of my favorite movies because I'm a Catholic boy. Heaven help us. Yes, heaven oh. help us. Oh my God. To him, brother. Kevin. To him, brother. <laughs> wow, wow. Yeah, fun cast. All right, boys. I think we've done popcorn. Yeah. Thank you. I think we have yeah. too. Mm-hmm. It's a likable. It's a likable romp. If like if you have what if you if you if you're burdened with one of those boyfriends or girlfriends or partners who aren't really into horror movies or gory films, this is a good one. Mm-hmm. It's it's more about suspense and mystery than anything else. Yeah, this is a good starter horror. Like watch this and then move up to maybe a little more intense stuff. Although. Well, obviously, you got an R rating because it was so intense. But there's there's not even any language. And my my partner who watched it last night, he loves horror. He said these were his words exactly. He said this would be a lot better if it had more gore. So mm. it can go either way, I suppose. There may be some people who find it a little too tame. It could have, yeah, it could have used a bit. But like I said, they were aiming for PG thirteen. That was their that was a target market. They had a whole marketing campaign set up for PG thirteen, aiming for. 14 to 18 year olds in the last minute they're like nope sorry mm-hmm. so the the ads for it, the the trailers that i sent you don't really sell the movie right they make it look like it's going to be really intense and super scary and non can't be so that's going to piss off an audience like the your hardcore horror fans anyway now but now you uh you guys out there know what you're in for can't be fun and i always appreciate i say this on the show all the time i'll always appreciate a filmmaker who shoots for the moon and misses mm-hmm than one who takes the easy way out. And they shot for the moon here. Mm-hmm. They didn't know. They got close. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So mad respect for them. And it's worth, it's, it's worth seeing for the cast alone. That's for sure. Kelly Joe Minter punch, punching that guy in the face. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> wait, 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 wait a minute. This boy's been getting beat up all day. You want him? You got to go through me. I don't hit chicks. Now back off. You don't hit chicks? You swear to God? I ain't never hit a chick in my life. That's all I wanted to know. All right, all right. Just, just as gay, uh, one more gay thing. My favorite part of the, my other favorite part of the movie is that whole fight scene with the, with the bitchy girlfriend that Mark brings. Yes. To the movie theater when she's getting thrown out after Kelly Joe Minter punches her boyfriend, the, 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 uh, the, the giant guy in the face. You're messing with my hair. It's not your hair anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even your real hair. <laughs> I love it. Good stuff. So Peter. If people are interested in finding out more about you, where might they find you on social media if they want to say hi? Oh, you know what? I, I, I if you don't want to give, if you don't want to, it's give, okay. Give. I am taking a social media break right now, which is wonderful. I'm not like off things, but I just don't really go on them. So, I, I, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I recommend we all take breaks from it once in a while. I, I do as well. I do as well. I've done that several times during the past year. <laughs> it, it helps keep my peaches fresh. Exactly. <laughs> like. Fruit fresh. Like, my, like your mom's. Fruit fresh. <laughs> like, <laughs> Patrick and I okay, have Can a, we tell them about Fruit Fresh? Yes. Can we tell them about Fruit Fresh before we go, of Peter? Course. Peter, tell everybody about Fruit Fresh. So remember back in the day, they had something called Fruit Fresh that you would sprinkle, and the commercials were so memorable. It had an old bitch. She would come into some, I mean, she would. it's probably the mother-in-law, right? She'd walk in the kitchen and say, look, 
I told you to use fruit fresh. Yuck, I told you to use fruit fresh. Your preserved peaches look spoiled. <laughs> your peaches are brown and yucky. Look, your peach brown and yucky. Mine with fruit fresh, fresh and yummy. <laughs> Which I just think is a horrible thing to say to someone who's trying to, to serve you fresh peaches. <laughs> Uh-huh. And then the husband's like, your mom's peaches are so delicious. <laughs> yes. Mmm, <laughs> your mom's peaches taste delicious. And fruit fresh. Like, who? It was supposed to keep your fresh from turning your fruit from turning brown. Who knows what the fuck? I was know. <laughs> DDT or some shit. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Serious, because this was this was mid seventies. It was like saccharine era. No so one like cared. everything was carcinogenic. Anthrax, it was like yeah. probably just straight up cancer. It's just cancer. <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> like, Powdered so. cancer. Enjoy everybody. <laughs> Okay, so Peter's taking a break, but uh, Peter's a singer. He's a fabulous guy. He loves it. He loves campy shit. He loves he loves movies featuring psycho biddies. You know, movies like Whatever Happened to Baby Jane or What's the Matter with Helen. He loves John Waters. He loves Edith Massey. I do. Stuff. I love it. And today is Edith Massey's birthday. Believe oh. it or not. Oh, it won't be she, when they hear this, but, but that's not. Well, today when we're recording this, May 28th, 1918, Edith Massey's date of birth. <laughs> All right, hold on a second while I squeeze out Nag in her honor. <laughs> there we go. I just, I just ovulated for Edith Massey. Oh, and Ida. Oh, and Ida. You're welcome. You're welcome. So <laughs> I'll thank her for this fucking hook when I scratch her eyes out with it. Don't get me started on John Mars. will be here all night. Dan, yes. what's going on with you? Do you have any projects coming up? Where can people watch some of your shit? Where can people find it on social media? You can find me on, um, don't go to Twitter. I never go to Why Twitter. Why do you always look so goddamn fabulous? <laughs> what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Uh, but thank you, Patrick. No, um, I don't really go on Twitter. Fucker. You can find me on Facebook. Instagram is, I think, DomDan13. Don't say anything. Anything. <laughs> um, and I do. It's his name, kids. It's his name. It's my name flipped a little bit. Um, and I do. Plus, I, he's a versatile. He's a he's a versatile. A versatile transmitter. Yes, I am. <laughs> you don't know what we're talking about. That'll be for the Patreon people. Please continue. <laughs> um, but I do have something. I did this reading, this Zoom reading that is going to be that with Barrington Stage, and they're going to show it on their website. We recorded it, and the play is called "Get Ready." Get your pink hands off me, sucker, and give me back. And it is going to be playing June 4th through June 6th. You can stream it. I think you have to pay to watch it. But it's an actually it's actually a really fun, modern, unique um, uh, play that has a lot to say about people. That's a Noel Coward, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It is. One of Noel Coward's early ones. pink hands off my, my pussy or whatever the fuck. <laughs> <laughs> All right, boys. Thank you so much for joining me for this first edition of our Pride Month celebration here on Scream Queens. I love you both. Stay fresh. Stay safe. Stay happy. And uh, I hope to see you both soon. Happy Pride, everyone. Happy Pride. Right. Thank you once again to Dan Dominguez and Peter Adamson for coming and play with me to talk about popcorn. Yay! It was wonderful to have them both. I'm a terrible person, a terrible podcaster, and an even worse friend because I keep forgetting whenever he's here, I keep forgetting to bring up the fact that Dan has his own podcast. The Hot Date Podcast, where they pick a random date, you know, just any date. Dan and his co-host will talk about a movie that came out right around that time. And they're great. They know what they're talking about. It's always interesting. And I always forget to talk about it. I'm horrible. I'm horrible. So before we leave popcorn completely, I just wanted to say, watching it this time, watching it from the Tom Villard perspective, watching it, watching his performance in this, it just breaks my heart. Because, as I said, this guy got typecast as the bargain basement Tom Hanks. 
He was always doing the exact same thing in every damn movie. The same goofy, dorky act. And this movie let him totally break out of that. His performance is incredible. He gets to show an incredible amount of range. And you could see what he could really do once he got out of that box that Hollywood put him in. And also that closet that Hollywood put him in. And not to be completely dark, finally the box that AIDS put him in. His coffin. But I am grateful and I am thankful that we had him at all and that we have this performance that is an absolute showcase for him. That he had this opportunity to strut his stuff and show the world what he could really do and go out in a blaze of glory. The first rule of showmanship is always leave them wanting more. And I guess Tom was just a showman right up until the end because, good Lord, this performance makes me wish there was more Tom. Rest in peace, Tom Villard, you glorious queen. Thank you. You were gone way too soon. Speaking of showmanship, one of the other lessons from this movie that I think is applicable for all of us during Pride Month is that I know people get into, myself included, Pride brings up a lot of self-esteem issues and body issues. You know, you think you're supposed to look this way and act this way. Fuck all that. Fuck all that. If this movie taught you anything, it's like you can sell anything with enough razzle-dazzle. And if there's one thing that the LGBT plus community knows better than any other community on the planet is razzle-dazzle. If you think it's a flaw, try putting a bell on it. You know, throw some glitter on it. There's a thing in marketing. They say, don't sell the steak. Sell the sizzle. Meaning, okay, you, know, you want to sell somebody a steak, you just show them the steak. It's a steak, and it's cow, and it's juicy, and it's great. You can talk about that steak all you want. You can make them look at that steak all you want. But the thing that's really going to make people want that steak, oddly enough, is the sound of that steak hitting the pan. That's why you always hear it in the hamburger place ads and stuff. You always hear that. That's that's for some reason. That's what's going to do it. Figure out what your sizzle is. Put a bell on it and strut down the street as proud and as gay and as queer as you want to be. Because darn it, you got it in you. So let everybody see it. That makes sense. I don't know. I don't know. We, we've had some technical difficulties putting this together. Oh, the other person I want to thank before we wrap up popcorn is the, hey, Tara Gardner, thank you for sending me this DVD. Tara has been waiting for like 300 years for me to do this movie. It just keeps getting sidelined or I lose the guests or shit happens. And popcorn just keeps, as in life, as this movie just keeps getting forgotten. But not anymore. Thank you, Tara, for the DVD. Thank you for being a patron. Because that's another perk of being a patron. You get to pick the movie that I review for an episode. And thank you for being awesome. And speaking of things that are awesome, before we wrap up, now, as many of you know, I've started doing the weekend watch parties again. I've been doing them on Sunday afternoon fairly regularly for the past mm, two months or so. And they're tons of fun. I started to realize, huh, doing them on Sunday afternoon hasn't been working as much because the warmer the weather got, the less likely people were going to be indoors on a Sunday afternoon. So I said, all right, well, uh, let's move it to Sunday night. So last Sunday, we had a screening of popcorn at the watch party, and it was tons of fun. We had a grand old time. What a hoot. Thank you for everybody who came out to that. But I also realized, oh, shit, Patrick, it's June. It's Pride Month. You can't be showing movies on Sunday night in Pride Month. Why not, Patrick? Because pretty much everywhere in the United States, the big Pride celebrations are happening on Sundays. Not always the same Sunday, it's different in every city, but pretty much that's the day where the big parade is supposed to happen or the big concerts. There's gonna be no one's gonna be sitting around at home. Or nobody wants to be sitting around at home. Everyone's gonna you know what the party's somewhere else. It's not here. So for the month of June, we're gonna be having Monday night watch parties. And for the month of June, we're gonna be showing 
queer horror films and other fun queer films as well. So so this Monday night, June 5th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, hold on to your heads, kids, because we're watching the world's first gay slasher movie. Yeah, I'm talking about Hell Bent, the Devil's on the Loose at the Los Angeles Halloween Carnival, and he's looking for some head. But not that kind of head. The severed kind of head. The fun starts at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 7 Central and Mountains, uh, well, 5 p.m. Pacific. Get there on time. Be part of the vintage video pre-show party where there's featuring classic trailers, cartoons, short films, karaoke, and giveaways. But Patrick, how am I going to join the party? Well, I'm going to tell you how to join the party. You go to www.screamqueens.com slash drive-in. Screamqueens.com slash drive-in. Don't miss it. And... The week after that, the week after that, we're swinging to the other side of the queer spectrum because we are doing the world's first lesbian slasher movie. Oh, you're doing the retreat? No, 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 no. Yeah, it's a lesbian slasher movie, but guess what? It ain't the first. I'm talking about Make-A-Wish from 2004. Same time, same place, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, www.screamqueens.com. Come join the fun or we'll talk about you. Before I wrap things up for another episode, I would be the worst person alive if I did not thank one of my dearest partners in crime, and I'm talking about Squadcast FM. Squadcast FM provides remote recordings for professional podcasters. They get clear as bell sound, instant backups, fantastic customer service. All around, I would never use anything else. Believe me, I've tried all the other services. Much like the fickle gay that I am, I'm always on the look for something better. And I haven't found anything better than Squadcast. And I love them. And I think you will too. Don't settle for shitty sound just because Skype is the best you can do. You can do better. You can do better and you can do better with Squadcast. The price is reasonable and it's absolutely worth your time. And you can try it out for free. For free, I say. For seven days. By going to www.screamqueens.com slash Squadcast. You get a seven day free trial. Plus you'll be helping out the show. Yay! Because they're an affiliate. Yay! Another way to help out the show and get fabulous pride gear is to go to Scream Tees, the official Scream Queens merchandise store. Not only can you get stuff emblazoned with the sexy Scream Queens logo designed by the fabulous Miss Carly. Hi, Carly! You can pick from the hand-selected designs that I have procured from the vast Tee Public Gallery. Designs that reflect our distinct Scream Queens aesthetic. A little bit flirty, a little bit naughty, a little bit creepy, and a whole lot of cats. And this month we're featuring fabulous queer designs by fabulous queer artists. You'll be supporting the show You'll be supporting the queer artists, and you'll also be getting fabulous merchandise. And I'm talking about t-shirts, talking about sweatshirts, talking about hoodies, talking about tank tops, talking about phone cases, pillows, stickers, mugs, magnets, you name it. They probably can do it. Screamqueens.com slash merch. Screamqueens.com slash merch. That's all you got to go. Go over there. Go spend a fortune. It's fabulous. If you do buy any merchandise over there, please send me a picture. Send me a picture of you wearing whatever shirt you got or, or holding up whatever doodad you bought. I want to see. I want to see. Well, how do I do that, Patrick? How do I get in touch with you? Well, that's really easy. You can find me on Facebook. Do a search on Scream Queens. The, um, Scream Queens, where horror gets gay. I'm on Twitter at Scream Queens. I'm on Instagram at Scream Queens Podcast. And if you're a super duper fan of the show, you can become a patron. You can become a patron and unlock premium content, two full-length podcasts that come out every month. The final reel where I tell you what I've been watching, what's hot in the theaters, what I thought about it, and whether or not you should be spending your money on it. And also, Damn You, Uncle Lewis. Damn You, Uncle Lewis is the Friday the 13th, the series, the TV series. Retrospective podcast. We're going one by one by one through the episode. We have a great time. We had a free sample last week. You can catch all the latest goings-on at my very curious curious shop with Maya Murphy and Trey Dean. 
by becoming a patron by going to www.patreon.com slash scream queens. You can unlock everything for just $5 a month. Now, I know I just threw a whole lot of URLs at you, but you know what? They're all right down there in your show notes. Where are the show notes? Well, look at your player. Look at your player. The thing that describes the show, scroll down, scroll down, scroll down. Look, all the links. What? Oh, wow. So you have no excuse. You got those links, so use those links. They're not just good. They're fabulous. And finally, if this is your first time visiting Scream Queens, hey, I hope you had a good time. I hope you come back. So be sure to hit follow on your podcatcher. Whatever you're listening on it right now, find that little follow button and you hit it and come back next time. We'll miss you if you don't come back. And if you had a really good time, share it with a friend. If you didn't have a good time, share it with an enemy. I don't care. Word of mouth is the best marketing that I can get. So please spread the word. So next time, my beautiful screamers, we are going to be joined by Matt Knife and maybe his husband, Scott. I don't know yet. We're kind of on the fence on that one. But we're going to be talking about the movie Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker, which is available on Shudder if you want to play along at home. That movie's a real trip. I only saw it for the first time recently, and I was like, wow. Wow, where has this movie been hiding all my life? But we'll be talking about that next time. So until we meet again, my beautiful, beautiful screamers, please continue to make the world a more fabulously creepy place. How do I do that, Patrick? Well, very simple. By following the Scream Queen's golden rule. Fight or flight. Survive the night. Make it to the final reel. Wash your fucking hands. Wear a fucking mask. Keep your fucking distance. Get the fucking shot. Have a great fucking pride month. Sell that sizzle. Razzle that dazzle. And don't forget for a second that I love you. All of the music for tonight's show, unless otherwise specified, has been written by Sam Haynes. You can find all of his music at www.bandcamp.com. Bitches! <laughs> Ew.